nothing in the soil in the earth Breaking through the rocks Growing wild and tall till the buds begin to pop So pack me in a bowl or roll me in a splint Are you breaking me down? You can feel your fingers Hey, this is Ryan Heron, cannabis writer and advocate from Portland, Oregon. And I'm Amanda Breeze, a cannabis reporter and educator based out of Toronto. And we're here today to talk about all the fun stuff around one of our favorite plants, cannabis. I hope people can hear the gulp. I know. Okay, sorry. Look, I'm drinking coffee. I'm like, Amanda has a second to just chat. So why don't I just take this time to force some more caffeine into my body? That was a loud gulp. That was impressive. You know right. Okay. Well, here, let's, we'll get a clean one that you can just insert, right? <laughs> Gulp. Uh, we're here to talk about all the fun stuff around one of our favorite plants, cannabis. Uh, okay, Amanda, do you have the white paper in front of you? Because we're we actually like we had guests planned. We've been doing this series on cool careers in cannabis. We I don't even know if we've like settled on a name for it, but that's what we're getting into. And we set aside this week to chat about this interesting new study. So do, do you have the white paper in front of you? I do. And I'm really excited because, you know, we have had a lot of guests this season. It's been so fun, but it also means we never get to have our little bro down. So I'm stoked that today is just going to be me and Ryan. And like Ryan said, today is all about this new breakthrough paper on new volatile compound aromatics that have been found in cannabis. So we're definitely going to get into that today. You know, before we get started, how's it going? Things are going pretty good, right? Um, my, my wife is part of the Portland teacher strike here. So they've been on strike now for about two weeks. And um, it's kind of crazy. My kid's out there on the picket line. They're, they come home with all of these chants stuck in their head. I've been out there a few times with them. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of the exciting thing. My kid is not in school. My wife comes home with a scratchy throat and a lot of like uh, signage that we need places to put. Well, hey, if there's any Oregon teachers listening, we support you. Solidarity on the picket lines. If I was there, I'd be right next to you. I support teachers and I hope that the strike pans out in your favor. There we go. It's looking that way. And yeah, hey, I, I appreciate that. We are getting a lot of support from the parents and the community members. And so, hey, I've been running around with my kid a lot more than I would which is great. I've got a precocious eight-year-old who's like tons of fun to be around. They're like an only kid. So I have molded them to just be another little adult to come around and smell things with me. So in between donuts, we stopped at Fumery here on Division in Portland, mm -hmm. uh, which I have to say is, uh, is one of the nicer fragrance or perfume shops that I have ever, ever stepped into, put into. Wow. Typically, I do like the like department store type stuff where you're getting into like the Tom Fords and the Gucci scents. And those are always fun to dig into. But this was like a whole library of hard to find stuff. And I originally went in there to smell some of the imaginary authors fragrances, which is a, a perfumer here in Portland who makes scents based on books. And they're not always fragrances you might wear. Uh, the latest, I think they've reformulated their bull's blood, which they say is like carnal and animalic. And people say that it smells like actual blood and patchouli and rose. Really intense, divisive, not for everyone. So I'm like, I gotta get my nose on that. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't have the, the new formulation in yet. So I was going to wait on that. But um I, I spoke to the manager there, Michael, for like over an hour. And the dude was just like, oh, you want to smell some stuff? I got you covered. 
And so we sat down and got into tons and tons of fun stuff. So they have a, a small library there. And Amanda, these are the books that we are just reading day in and day out. And so we're talking about Mandy Aftel and we're talking about uh, Gilbert and, you know, chatting about the books. And he says, really, the best perfume books are all translated from French. <gasps> And so I'm like, oh, okay, that might be the new thing we need to dig into. But yeah, I'll, I'll shut up about my perfume adventures. No, 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 I, I'm dying to hear more because you recommended Le Labo last month. I just, I said that so, eh, Le Labo. That was <laughs> the French came out. I, my, my shitty French. I went and at the time they had their city collection and it just so happened that I went on the very last day. So they were slammed. I was so confused. Like, why are there literally 40 people in this teeny little room? <laughs> and I had no idea perfumery in Toronto had such a presence. Like I'd never heard of Lalabo before. I love these little bespoke perfumists. And I think it's really neat that this spot, what's it called again? The one that you just went to? Oh, it's just called Fumery. Fumery. Okay. I'm inspired. So this week I I subscribed to the Institute of Art and Olifaction newsletter. And they are based out of, I believe, the Bay Area. Yeah, California. Yeah, California for sure. And so they have in-person events and in-person workshops, but they also do a ton of online events. Um, and so I try to sign up for the ones that I can make. So they, and they have different ones all the time around Halloween. They had one on aromatics for seances. Like they have really unique programming. Whoa. And last week they had a by donation zoom with Mandy Aftel because she just put out a new book called the museum of scent. And it's based off of her literal museum of curious scents that she built in this little bunky space. And so I sat in on a Mandy Aftel talk and boy, she is dynamic. She is really, really <laughs> dynamic. Like she's kind of a bit of a weirdo. I mean, she's a perfumer. It takes a certain person like us to be like, I'm going to make smells my entire personality. And then she just went for it, you know? And so like, Oh, and she really went for it guys. If you don't, if you're not familiar, Mandy is like one of the like most celebrated perfumists. She's like, yes. she will like stomp off into the orchard and pick the peaches and have those turned into a an absolute that she can play with. Oh, and she has rare, yeah. rare aromatics and rare books in her collection. So she has these old 500-year-old perfumery books in en français. She's got every book you can imagine. She even has like 10 different samples of ambergris. She has civet. Oh. She has some rare, rare variations of smells in her museum. And then she wrote a whole book that's like a compendium of like the smells in her museum, like separated by their aroma types and stuff. So anyway, I was in the Zoom for like five minutes before I went and bought the book. Like I was like, don't buy the book, don't buy the book. And then I bought the book because it's yeah. it's too good. She's a, she's an amazing author, amazing perfumer. So I have that on the way. Uh, no, this is the big like coffee table size book, right? It's not like a, it's not yeah, a little it's reference. It's like a, a big giant scent nerd thing. Hey, good. Good for you. She hand illustrated all of the pictures in the book. So she was inspired by, if you've ever seen like illuminated texts, you know how monks drew these like biblical texts with gold in the edges and all these intricate designs. So she drew almost like illuminated manuscript type illustrations and hand painted them for the book. Wow. 
This book is all out. I can't wait to get it. It's in the mail. I found a local bookstore that has it. It just came out last week. Like the book is brand new and I, I had to get it. I had to scoop it up. And you know, I like to wait for a hot deal. So <laughs> I, that's saying a lot. I bought the book like the week it came out. That's So speaking of hot deals, you did get one on, on McGee's book. If you're a scent nerd and you are here with us, not because we talk about weed, uh, but because we talk about the scent of things, uh, Harold McGee's book, what is it called? Uh, help me with the title. Oh, it's just called Nosedive. Nosedive, yes. I wanted it months ago when it came out. We first mentioned it. I swear we mentioned it like a year ago. We've been talking about first this First episode, yeah. It's, it's like our little Bible here. And I've been wanting a copy, but no, I've been going to the library and taking it out because it was like a hundred bucks online. And finally, they came out with the not hardcover, and it's actually way cuter than the hardcover. It has a way cuter cover on the front, and uh, I got it for 20 bucks. I'm stoked. Yeah. Oh, killer deal. And you know what? It's kind of magical because, like you were saying, some people are here for the weeds. Some people are here for the smells. Today's episode is our specialities slammed into one because this new paper that we're going to be talking about is aromatics and weed at its finest. And actually, when reading through the white paper, I went to the library, I took out Nosedive, and I was referencing it while I was reading the paper. So when I say Nosedive is like a fantastic book on smell compounds, it really has everything. In the in-between, I the one that I ordered came in the mail, so now I have two copies. Ha <laughs> ha <laughs> good. You can be a real book nerd with like the reference... <laughs> all turned to different pages and flipping them back and forth. Yeah. McGee on the phone if you need him. Yeah, I'm serious. I got two of the same books going. I got the white paper. I got my notes. I'm ready to, uh, I'm ready to roll. A lot of people have been asking a lot of questions about this paper since it came out, what, like a month ago, a few weeks now? Um, yeah, like three weeks. I think I want to say it came out on the October 21st was I think when they started announcing it. Okay. So we're talking about abstracts. New study. If you go to their website, you can read on their research. The summation of the white paper is called uh, The Science of Exotic, Part One The Dawn of Flavorants. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so dramatic. The drama kills me. Um, I know. The official white paper, if you want to read the full ass study from start to finish, you can get it online. It's pretty easy to find, but the whole paper is called Minor Non Terpenoid Volatile Compounds Drive the Aroma Differences of exotic cannabis. And I think it's important today, what we're gonna try to do is focus on the actual details of the paper itself, not the insinuations that the industry has been making based off of this paper. So let's science. <laughs> yeah, I think that what is really fun here is that Abstracts and the team over there have been doing a lot of work to discover the minor compounds in cannabis that we don't always talk about. So they're trying to get a more complete picture of what cannabis is, also so they can kind of rebuild that, that um, using other materials. And so, yeah, they're, they are doing the work of getting in there and trying to find new compounds in cannabis that haven't been researched or discovered or really talked about because as a plant that has, what is it, over 400 different compounds, I think is it's 1,400 at this point, we keep adding to it. There's a lot to discover and we're just still scratching the surface. Yes. Honestly, shout out to Abstracts for this year really leading the way 
when it comes to scientific exploration, specifically of cannabis aromatics, because they've come out with quite a few papers in the past year that have really very obviously highlighted their curiosity towards what comp- compounds are present in cannabis. And that's a vibe. They're not just regurgitating information. They're really going out there and finding new things to tell us. And so this paper is actually very exciting for the cannabis community. Many people are calling it a breakthrough paper. I love it. I love the enthusiasm for aromatics. So why don't we get into it a little bit and explain the paper so people don't have to read it? Yeah, let's sum it up a little bit. And then if you're encouraged to either read the kind of packaged info that Abstracts has put together, which is a really nice presentation, it's really, it's pretty easy to find on their website, then you should dig into that. And then if you are further intrigued, I think the white paper is is the place to be. Abstracts took a relatively small sample hash rosin from 710 Labs and examined it to find, should we say, rare compounds? Uh, so yes, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if the intention was to seek out rare p- compounds. I think it was just like to fill in some gaps and, and definitely do some searching. They're doing some searching because they're looking for explanation on what makes cannabis exotic. So exotic basically means it's an extreme flavor on one end of a spectrum, which is sweet and the other end of the spectrum, which is savory or gassy. So generally, if you hear the term exotics, it means something that is like insanely on one end or the other of this spectrum. It's not just like your average, what they call prototypical strains that are kind of in the middle. Yeah, which is sort of interesting because it's sort of borrowing a term from the black market and then giving it a a more concrete definition. Exotics have been sold for like the last five years, typically in some like Amazon mylars, mostly to consumers on the black market who are buying things like pounds at a time and then breaking that down and selling that to the end consumer. So exotics was a good way of being like, look, if you're willing to pay a higher price, I have something outside of my normal price tiers because it is exemplary. It's It looks really good. It smells really good. It was kind of a way of saying something like, and, and then I have something even higher tiered if you'd like to pay for that. And it's kind of just existed in that sort of thing where we're talking about, okay, exotics means really good weed, I guess. So Abstracts is coming down and saying like, look, we had in a lot of ways thought of really good weed as something that you would 100% across the board say, this thing smells sweet and pleasant. This thing smells like cotton candy grapes. Boom. Now we're calling it exotic. And then when they dug into this a little bit more, they said, well, there's also a whole other end to this. There is that savory garlic gas, like GMO funk that we love if you're a, a really into weed, if you're a connoisseur, those flavors excite you as well. So let's go ahead and say that this represents the farthest ends of the spectrum of quality, which I, I'm okay with that definition. If we want to stick with that, like I think they did a pretty good job with that. Honestly, I think what we're seeing here is a small step towards identifying which products on the market could be considered luxury products. And that's going to drive up the price of them, like you're saying. So we're we're starting to find differentiators between things based on some of their compounds and experience, the aromatics, which applies to, as we know, wine, 
whiskey, coffee. So we're seeing what people are doing in other industries. And this is this is very interesting, but it's just like a little step in that direction. Like maybe this is a potential differentiator of certain strains. And so like Ryan was saying, scientists at Abstracts took 31 ice hash rosin samples and tested them. The reason they went with the ice hash rosin is because it arguably is the purest form of compounds that you can get from cannabis. So you freeze the pot so that the terpenes so the like are not in a state of evaporation. You're like stopping the volatility of the aromatics or other compounds. Like we don't know what the, what's going to be there. So we want to make sure it all stays in one place. Then they do the ice hash processing, which again is just pulling off all of the crystals and trichomes and then they're pressing it. So it's becoming like this really purified thing that they're able to say, this is very pure. We can test this and see what comes out of it. Downside, it was a very small test group. It was only 31 samples. We might come back to that a little later, but I do want to point out that it was like quite a small test group that they were working with for this study. As one of the earlier studies this year that we talked about, they studied over 90,000 samples of commercial cannabis. So comparatively, this one's a little bit on the smaller side, but nonetheless, many discoveries were made. So one of the big to-dos about this paper right now is that throughout the white paper, it is very clearly stated that the role of terpenes has itself been overstated. <laughs> is that a confusing sentence? Um, the role of terpenes has been overstated in the cannabis industry. And in the intro, they kind of go to say that basically like it's kind of become a marketing thing for commercial cannabis to help with categorizations. And there's been an overemphasis on terpenes. And honestly, in a lot of ways, I have to agree with them. Like when we look at other studies that have been done on terpenes and they found that there's only six main terpenes and 14 overall terpenes you find in most cannabis with obviously it's not the best differentiator because we're finding myrcene in most cannabis strains we're finding limonene in most cannabis strains but in my opinion this is not a breakthrough this is just stating facts that people outside the industry already know like we created our aroma wheel earlier this year and specifically did not include terpenes on it exactly for this reason. They may have a major percentage when it comes to the aromatic profiles, but they're not the main drivers of the actual experience that we're smelling. Sometimes the smallest component can have the greatest impact when you're smelling it. And we talk about this in my cannabis aroma wheel workshop when I bring out lime essential oil, orange essential oil, lemon essential oil, and I get everyone to smell it and everyone can smell that they're different, but their terpene profiles are almost identical. So we already knew this, but I mm -hmm. feel like it's good for the industry to hear it because I agree that the role of terpenes in aromatics has been very overstated. Yeah, and I actually think terps or terpene profile is okay terminology when we're discussing the profile of cannabis. It's it's a reduction of what we're actually talking about, but in the way that we're just trying to communicate. Like um, we have Brave from Brave Hearts here on so maybe next episode. Um, we've already recorded that. And he says terpene profile a lot, the terpenes, the terps, the this. And he is really talking about the profile of the cannabis. 
And so we're right, like terpenes have been overstated if they're becoming this catch-all to talk about the flavor and the aroma of the cannabis. But in a way that it's like, okay, if we're using it in that same way that we can talk about, like the way that everyone used to say strands, oh yeah, this strand of weed is is great. Like, okay, it's not accurate, but we're communicating here. So that's okay. I'm not going to call you out on it. That's classic weed industry. We've been saying sativa for years. You won't stop and interrupt them and be like, uh, those are just made up words that don't apply to modern day hybridized cannabis. No, you want something stimulating. I know what fucking sativa means. I know like terpenes are referring to aromatic propane. I know well, it does kind of suck to kind of be in this place where we always have to have this caveat, even when we're communicating with someone who's uh, you know, more educated, where we're like, oh, I, I'm saying this, but I don't really mean it. You know, it, it does kind of suck that we're stuck in that place where we're like, I know this is wrong, but sativa, indica, yeah. sleepy. And now we can throw terpenes in the mix because it has been, like you said, a catch all for aromatic profiles. It worked. Um, and it's probably going to continue to sort of be the term people are referencing unless this some of these new terms like flavorants kind of pick up. But I saw a really funny TikTok the other day and it was a guy pretending he was going into a dispensary and he asked for um, the strain highest in tropical volatile sulfur compounds. <laughs> Please get me on your same TikTok. I'm not seeing this shit at all. Okay. All right. Well, you're not on TikTok? Oh, fuck. Okay. We got to throw that out. But anyway, I just thought that was so funny because that's really when everything becomes a marketing shtick, it creates the situation where now if you like tropical volatile sulfur compounds, which I swear I will explain in a minute, and you realize this is the flavor for you, are you really going to walk into a dispensary and say that? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's funny. Uh. There's So the whole industry is having a moment with this with this terminology and we're trying to navigate our way around it. Now, I want to stay focused. I really want to get through this paper because there is like a lot of important information. And I want to kind of just like start at the beginning, if that's cool. Yeah, please. Let's get into it. I feel like we did a good job of setting things up. But as we're, you know, typically all over the place, I'm sure we miss some things. So help us out. Okay. So I got some notes here because I want to be really thorough so I can answer everyone's questions that I've been getting the past few weeks about this um, topic. Okay. So to review, terpenes are scent molecules. That is it. That is what they are. They are scent molecules. They are not the only scent molecules. There are many other types of scent molecules, but this is one type of scent molecule. So under the umbrella of smells, if we look at it molecularly, a terpene is a scent compound. Terpenes do influence aromatics, as do non-terpenoid compounds. And that's what this paper is trying to explore more of, is these non-terpenoid compounds that really have a strong correlation to the overall smell you experience. So they did the live hash rosin. We went over that. They had 31 exotic samples. Oh, that's it. So this study very specifically applies to exotics. Although they did have what they called prototypical samples in the mix, they were initially just seeking out, you know, flavors that were gas or tropical. Yeah. And I, I do want to give them some credit. Like the strains that they use, the samples that they used are all very like trending up to date very like front of what is popular right now so some of this stuff like hasn't even hit dispensaries in a lot of regions so they really were kind of using some like very current flavors and i appreciated that which also led to a discovery which i'll bring up at the end so the currency of it is very important to the overall study 
In a nutshell, what the 20 pages of this paper discover are new compounds in cannabis. These are not new compounds in the entire world. These are just new compounds discovered in cannabis. Um, so that's the first big one. The tropical volatile sulfur compounds, TVSCs or Tropicana sulfurs. And these are the smells that you find in weed that are shocker, tropical. Okay, so it might lean into a little bit of the citrus family. It might lean into the fruit family, these extremely fruity ends of the spectrum. Tropicana sulfurs do influence fruity aromatics, but so do esters. So I just want to point out again, there's lots of smell compounds, all of them together. That is what makes a smell. It is many compounds combined. So no one thing can really realistically be pulled down and be like, this is the one compound. So this is, that's the delicious side of the spectrum. In the savory stank side of the spectrum is where they came up with some other less palatable flavors. One of them being scatol, the other one being indole. Again, these are two scent compounds and they're kind of related to the VSCs discovered earlier this year that are responsible for the skunk smell. In that paper, we found VSCs in cannabis and we said it's exactly the same molecule in skunk butt. These are the two same things. And so now we're looking at scatol and indole, but in this instance, these two smell compounds are the same as mammalian feces. So these are poo smells. <laughs> it does not mean there's poop and weed. <laughs> and the two have nothing to do with each other, okay? These are just one molecular compound you can find in many different things. And while scatol is not really used in any kind of production or anything, indoles are. And you might find indoles in use in some perfumes or scents or um, as fixatives because they're very heavy. So it's not even something that you don't have uh, run-ins with like outside of a public restroom. So uh, these things are yes. around. They're around everywhere. And this is the thing. And I'm so glad my nosedive, we got to talk about that because I went straight to nosedive because I was like, did abstracts just invent scatol? And I was like, that's crazy. And I went to the guide and there's like 50 plus pages on scatol. So I went through all of them because I was dying to know, like, what is this? What is this compound? So for example, they're often commonly found together, scatol and indole. They're kind of like, they're not exclusively together, but you will often find them together. Um, they are most commonly experienced in cooking. So when you grill meat, specifically like lamb and pork, that is where you'll find those smell compounds. So now we're, we're advancing here because like, it's not the meat, it's specifically smell of grilled meat that this compound emits. And then on the other end, less animalistic, is that you find scatol and indole in exotic flowers. What is weed? Weed is an exotic flower. Of course, it's going to be in there. It's an exotic flower. Yeah. We're talking jasmine, yeah. neroli, Elang, neroli, exactly. Um, squash blossoms. Oh, okay. Very nice. White flowers that are like night bloomers typically also have this smell. And the idea is that the putrefacting aromatic brings out the beauty. It's the lotus in the mud, right? So scatol and indole are sometimes in the most exquisite perfumes and scents because that's what makes them exquisite. 
is the stink. Yes. Well, so back to my um, perfume excursion this weekend. Um, I was sitting next to the counter, and this is very much a bar atmosphere. We were like, give me one of these, give me one of those, give me one of these. And he sets them all out in front of you. And the woman in front of me was looking for her like new signature winter scent or whatever. And she was into the funkiest stuff. Everything smelled like musky barnyard oil. And, you know, we're there for an hour, so you get to know and you're like passing smells back and forth. And uh, at first, I'm like, everything that she's putting in front of my face smells like rancid oil and a vanilla beans like sprinkled over it. And I was really having a hard time getting on board with anything that she had. But by the end of the hour, I was like, Oh, I like that one. Oh, I kind of like this one. Oh, this one with the, like the toned down barnyard is kind of nice. So it is crazy how those, that absolute funk, like even in high concentrations, you start to get used to it. And then you start to find out what you like about it. And then pretty soon you're slurping down oysters. I mean, it just, to me, this is such a full circle moment because I feel like the cannabis industry is so tunnel vision on weed and weed alone. But if we all just stopped and took a look at the world we live in, you would see these correlations. So like weed is a flower, weed is an exotic flower. Of course, it contains the same compounds as other exotic flowers. That's okay. That's why abstracts is there. They're doing it and they're finding these compounds for us and they're doing it in a way where they're actually confirming. Yeah, we found traces of these aromatic compounds in our cannabis samples. And just to add that the way they're classifying these samples is exotics, but they've created a spectrum being sweet exotics and savory exotics. So they're calling the poo-poo smells savory exotics. All right, that's the new term that we're rolling with here. They found other rare smells as well. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna really butcher the pronunciation of these. But synosiates, synosiates. Yep, yep. I'm looking at Ryan. Maybe give us a couple more. Give us some clean ones for the edit. Okay, synosiates. Um, and that is a smell compound that includes fruity and sweet fusel-based notes and sometimes even banana. They also found esters, which we already knew, but they've invented a new term, canna esters. Okay. And what is interesting about the esters is in this study, in one single strain of banana scream, in that sample, they found more than 30 esters. Ooh, yes. And I love that because you and I are- Sorry, 15. Sorry, 15 esters. Still, still impressive, right? Right? Like probably more than you would find in like a cheap bottle of alcohol. Yeah. Especially one that is banana flavored, right? So there's there's a lot more going on there. Uh, and, and I love that because we're always throwing esters in the mix. It was a big part of our conversation around fruity flavors and where they were going to exist on the wheel and what was going to be next to them. So just I, I want to take a quick pause on this because as someone who's so focused on just senses and the sensory experience of things, I really am hoping that we can learn so much about cannabis and then get back to the way that we're communicating like on a bottle of wine or the front of a bag of coffee where we can say cherry, cedar, dark chocolate. And then now I have a good idea of, of the aroma and the flavor. Then we can talk about experience after that. But hey, we're, we're getting there and that's, that's okay. But I, I'm just kind of like, Excited for a day where all of the terpene tests don't look exactly the same, like you were saying with the citrus, yeah. you know, and it, it's got to be hard as a concentrate producer paying for a terpene test every time, knowing that it's like 
so useful for the market, but also seeing like the results look relatively the same every time. Honestly, you're so right, because we've been saying this the whole freaking year, which is that what you need is aromatic descriptions, not necessarily a scientific breakdown to access consumers and get consumers what they want. And this is really a perfect example, because if anyone's ever taken like a a canner reps or trichome or any sort of online sommelier certification, Gongier, they train you to identify terpenes in cannabis and they train you to memorize those smells. So we know it's there. There's nothing wrong with being able to identify that aromatic, but now we're able to like completely expand into so many other flavors that add so much of a sensory experience. So like these esters in particular that they found bring in the fruit, blackberry, pineapple, and banana smells. So that's in itself really a diverse selection of flavors. Honestly, that's a lot of different fruits in one compared to like limonene, which is like guaranteed citrus. And now Tropicana sulfurs, which are citrus fruity, right? This whole other sweet category. Um, yeah, yeah. I think Tropicana is probably the best example of something you've probably had your nose on that has a high concentration of those. And then uh, just before the break, they had a few other compounds that they found. One was uh, methyl, dimethyl, and ethyl anethrylate. And that's grape. And each one of those words, the methyl, dimethyl, and ethyl is all a different grape smell. So for example, methyl anethylate, I, I'm pronouncing these wrong, um, is Concord grape smell. They found that in this study as well. They found a series of butrates, um, which were responsible for sweet honey-like aroma. And this is where we go back to earlier in the podcast, because interestingly, the varieties that contained these compounds are all recently bred, which suggests that this class of compounds is only found in modern varieties of cannabis. And lastly, they found, this is not even a word, it's a bunch of numbers and letters together, 6-amyl-pyrone, which is a lactone, and it brings creamy coconut aroma. Yeah, they've added creaminess to their periodic table of exotics. that have been highlighted in this study. What does it mean, right? Okay, so we've discovered these new compounds, um, new to cannabis. We're finding new words like flavorants to explain these new aromatic compounds. I've always felt that was a limitation on terpenes because although they do add a certain degree of flavor, it's implied that they're exclusively smell because they are smell molecules. So I'm actually very excited about the new term flavorants, although I will say it's not a new term. It's just new to cannabis. The the word flavorants has been used throughout many agricultural industries for many different purposes. Yeah. And if, if flavorants ends up being the term that we go with over terpenes to be our kind of blanket way we talk about compounds and cannabis, I'm okay with that as well. You know, uh, especially I think it's sort of handy that we talk about uh, one of the best traits cannabis can have is if that flavor carries over to your palate and you're actually getting some real flavor off of it. So if we're talking about exotics having a ton of flavorings to the to the way that I just know, oh, hey, that's a good thing because I'm getting flavor off of it. It doesn't really need to be explained to a novice to understand what we're talking about. And you don't get that from the word terpenes, which is 
even though 10 years later, it's a common term, still confusing people at cannabis expos or places where people should know what it means. Yes, I agree. And I think what's nice about bringing in some new terminology is that it's, it's, and what this paper really does overall is it's creating new ways for us to classify cannabis varieties based on key aroma contributing compounds. So as we're slowly navigating the language around these things at the very start, this is a whole new way to classify varieties and the presence of unique compounds is very exciting for the cannabis industry. I will say that too. It is really exciting, right? Like, well, like Tropicana sulfurs, fucking scatol. Like I'm seeing people stoked on smells again. And I just think it's fun. We needed a little bit of excitement. Uh, and here it is. Yeah. Well, if, if this encourages producers to stop chasing uh, THC scores, Great. Now I don't have to deal with something that is a boring 36% or I hope you can hear the finger quotes in my voice. Um, But instead, I can go for something that is, quote unquote, exotic and has like, you know, these intense flavorants. Because I mean, buddy, that's what I'm here for. I did not sign up for a THC only experience. I came here for like a, a sensory wallop to the face. And the more I can get that, the better. Absolutely. And I think that by categorizing them as flavorants, I think it's a way for us to highlight their potential in future studies. Once you read through the papers, you can really see the direction that things are moving in. And so I'm also a really big fan of that aspect of it. What I will say is that I feel like everyone's freaking out in a negative way about this paper because it's challenging existing perceptions. And a lot of people have built careers on (laughs) existing perceptions. Thankfully, we come from smell and flavor background, so we are not completely thrown off by this paper. We're enthused by it. We're excited. Um, And it perfectly falls in step with all the work we've been doing. So I'm like, I was actually very excited to read about this. So as we both know, many studies have been done on the effects of terpenes in aromatherapy. So I will start by saying that One of the themes that I'm seeing coming out of people talking about this paper is kind of like, fuck terpenes. Anyone who looks at terpenes is a big, stupid idiot. Um, And people are starting to feel very self-conscious about how much emphasis they've put on terpenes. And I want to say, like, don't. Because the point of this paper wasn't to denounce the any of the effects or any of the potential therapeutic actions of these compounds. It was just to kind of say there's other smells. Like this paper is talking about smells. It at no point mentions effects other than smelling, like the actual sensory experience of smelling something. So effects have nothing to do with this paper. Um And many studies have been done outside of the cannabis industry on the effects of aromatics and terpenes and essential oils on the body, on the bloodstream, on the nervous system, on the musculoskeletal system for years. So there's a whole, that's a whole other topic. So people can just, it's not about the effects. This paper is about the smell and the sensory experience. Yeah. And in contrast, they even say that the the terpene levels uh, of this, cannabis, but were also impressive and seem to have little correlation with these high impact compounds um, at either end of the spectrum. So really, they're just saying this is 
in addition to the terpene conversation. And this weed was great in that those regards as well. We could we probably will write papers about the terpene expression in these but we would also like to include what we're now calling flavorants. Yes. Okay. I'm so glad that you said that. The thing is, in the paper, part of the process in selecting these exotics and putting them on this spectrum, keep in mind, this spectrum is kind of an invented spectrum, right? It's like savory sweet. They came up with it. They found a place for all of these um, strain varieties on this invented spectrum. It never, it's not a thing. Okay. Sweet to savory. I mean, I guess sweet and savory as a spectrum and food and stuff like that. But I'm just saying this is like a very specific paper on a very specific yeah. topic. Um, and the thing is what I love the most is that they used real humans as part of the study, as part of their sensory panel. So they actually had people come in and use their nose to identify the exotics and place them on this spectrum based on their actual experience of smelling it. And the thing is, when we look at other studies that have been done on aromatics, they usually include a nose. And we haven't seen this in a lot of studies that have come out in the past couple of years, where they tend to do the science breakdown and the molecular thing, which I don't even, I don't even know how they do that, but they never bring in the nose. And so I was happy to see a literal human with their literal nose smelling because when studies on aromatics have been done and Avery Gilbert is one to read the nose nose, that's where I got this one from. They would literally have a person sit at the bend of the machine where, you know, um, most terpenes are liquid. So where the liquids coming out of the machine and you catch the first sniff and that can sometimes, it could be 100% limonene, but you might be smelling something completely different. So it's always important to note that the terpenes and the smell could be so different because this one little 0.01% of scatol could actually have a 99% influence on the exotic factor, right? It doesn't have to be the biggest compound to have the most aromatic impact. Yeah. Which is also why percentage is a terrible way to communicate this with somebody because like you were saying, like 6% limonene might blow 25% um, pick your terpene out of the water. And so it's like, it's a really apples to oranges type situation literally at that point, because the percentages aren't giving you a clear idea of what the aroma is going to be. Maybe just like the makeup of the product. And that's literally it. And that is the breakthrough of this paper, people. If it's There's so much more to smell than a scientific percentage or a fucking pie chart. Like these things are valuable information, but only to some people. And I love the abstracts is like, just saying it way nicer than I just did. Um, so I love that. You know what though? What, what they did was they took uh, a generous amount of samples for a table's worth of people to have. 31 samples, great. If I had 31 samples in front of me right now, I'd be very excited, surrounded by this wall of weed in here, I could probably dig 31 out. Cool, let's, let's set that up and let's arrange these in a way that we feel like is on a spectrum from sweet to savory. And okay, let's all sit here and have a conversation about what we feel the sweetest is. And I, I think it is cool that they did have that sensory panel as a major part of this study. And I know that it was Abstract's employees participating in the sensory panel. And I know a ton of those guys, they're all super into weed. They all like really love 
great herb and travel to get it. And like their freezers are stocked with really excellent hash. And so when I know the, the noses that went into this, I don't think it was just like uh, an assortment of folks that they've assembled off Craigslist, like most of the sensory panels I've been to. So usually like the most random people, including like people they could get to stop at the mall and give like a $5 gift card to like for real. Um, so yeah. the fact that the sensory panel sat down and they had a, uh, intimate knowledge of cannabis and likely had a very educated way of sorting these out. And then we can say, okay, now we've got a research scientist standing right behind us. Let's take these on the far end of the spectrum and see what is making these special. And as far as I'm concerned, like they can do that round after round. I would watch that on Netflix as like, oh, oh, is papaya peach going to last this week? Oh, they're sending her home. Uh, you know, that gets exciting. That's, that's what I'm here for. I would literally watch that on TV too. Why the, we got to pitch this. We got to pitch All right. This. It's on. Okay. Our YouTube channel. Well, will be yeah, okay. Nobody steal our idea. Nobody steal our idea. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm writing it down and mailing it to myself as we speak. <laughs> okay. So let's sum this up. Here is the, I, I wish we could answer questions. Like, I feel like this is the perfect time for a question and answer, but if you guys do have questions, definitely like, Send them through our Instagram or post them when this post gets posted. I will be more than happy to answer questions. Um, I wish we had questions right now, but we don't. So I push on. So the impact on the industry. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, do you have any questions? Right? <laughs> are you compelled to yeah, answer? I don't know. Like, yeah, give me a second. Wrap wrap it up for us. I might have some questions for you. Okay, let me wrap I do. They, so, my questions start to get snarky at this point, but that's okay. Okay. We're saving the snark till the very end, right. and then we'll end on a Okay. So the impact on the industry of this study is that one, it's creating new avenues for product differentiation. That's fucking cool. Um, it's creating new quality indicators. That's fantastic. It's uh, pushing for labeling accuracy, which who doesn't love that? It's creating new opportunities for consumer education. That's great for us. That's what we do. It is also able to look at marketing trends, like, for example, noticing that some of the newer strains have a particular scent and how that's developing. That I hope they pursue because that's very interesting to me. And lastly, my personal favorite is that they're highlighting the aroma diversity in cannabis. It's not just about the terpenes. We've been saying this from day one. There are so many smells. And my question has always been, how? Like, this is so cool. Like, how the like how the fuck you know what i mean like how do all of these different things share so many smells with each other so like schedule i get exotic flowers just contain that that makes sense to me but tropicana sulfurs the fuck like i just this is like where how did weed start smelling like oranges i don't know i and not just like oh hey this this could smell like an orange if you like close your eyes and blink at it like uh, i remember when i was first getting into uh to wine, I would say, you know, to my mom, who's, you know, has since learned a lot, but at the time did not know anything. And I would say, oh, this is one that has like flavors of like strawberry and black currant or whatever. And she would say, well, I don't really want anything with other fruit juices in it. Like it, it really took that moment to explain like, no, these are the flavor notes that the grapes are producing, right? Or the wine has produced. And so, hey, the fact that we're getting to the point now that I can hand a jar of Tropicana sulfur rich cannabis to somebody and they open it up and they don't even need to know what's in it for their eyes to light up and go, holy cow. This is the thing. This is this is the essence of the exotics, right? That's why they stand out. They have that 
amazing punch of flavor. So I'm I'm kind of loving the direction that this is sort of taking the industry. However, however, there are some problems with this study that have been very overlooked in the rush to highlight the greatness of it. And I just want to take a minute to like keep it real and point out some of the things that I think are kind of worth noting if we're looking at this whole piece. Because as much as we want to celebrate new discoveries, we have to look at how they were discovered so that we don't keep inventing sativas and indicas of the world and we can actually push forward with accurate information. So in my opinion, this study is generalizing its findings to all products. And this is not, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. This is just what I'm seeing kind of unfolding, let's call it the fallout on social media, is that it's now being generalized to all cannabis products. This study was very specifically done with one type of extract, a fantastic high quality extract, but one extract. It doesn't factor in long-term stability. It doesn't factor in um, vapes, edibles, flour. It doesn't factor in the curing process. There are a lot of things that are not being factored in to these findings. Yeah, I, I think um, 710 is typically, as far as I'm concerned, not available in Oregon fresh frozen flour, so aka live rosin. So the flour has never been given the opportunity to cure. Uh, and I would be very, very interested to see uh, what compounds that is adding to it. Are, do we still have exotic cured flour cannabis? Absolutely we do. And it is it stands out in the in the same way. So are these the exact compounds? Do we get different ones? We already know that cannabis that is grown indoors under lights produces different cannabinoids and compounds than those under sunlight. So where did all this flower come from? Under the sun, under LEDs? I'd really like to know more about the inputs to see if they have anything to do with the formulation of these compounds in the plants. You know, I did skim over that and I wish I could give you a solid answer, but they were quite thorough in their process. So I, I suspect in the appendices that it might say exa exactly to the most minute detail exactly how they did it. Because that's kind of like the whole shtick of these white papers. But I can't off the top of my head think of it. But that's exactly where we're going with this is like there are a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors because the purpose of the study was to look, seek out non-terpenoid compounds. That is why live hash ice rosin is the way to go because that's going to give you the most extracted compounds from the plant itself. It's the most replica of the plant without being the plant. So for the purpose of this study, made sense to me, but this study applied to all products. That is not how this study was done. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing, the sensory panel, shout out to the sensory panel. That rules. How do I get on this panel? Like, what do I need to do to be a sensory panelist? Unfortunately, they admitted in the paper that the panel was not formally trained and that a more diverse panel could provide greater insights. So they themselves in the paper are saying this is a really big part of the study and that maybe a more trained panel could provide greater insight into this scale that we're using. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I do think like someone like you or I is going to go in there and better identify outliers that 
like like there's nothing on here that is incredibly floral. We're not saying something that smells like a uh, violet delight, which blows your nose away with this true violet smell exists on this exotic scale because they weren't testing for things that were like overwhelmingly floral. Now, do we call that sweet? I don't know. You and I don't really call anything sweet because sweet just means pleasant. Mm-hmm. So that that's a hard thing that I have just with the the structure of this is that we maybe don't agree on even what sweet and savory might be. Now, I, I do know that, you know, you need to create an approachable scale that someone with little training can step up and uh, appreciate or, or slot something into because, hey, that's what the consumer is. If I'm stepping up at the dispensary like that, I expect people to have that level of knowledge. And also, realistically, I think we could separate 31 samples between stink and sweet. Like, I feel like that's just pretty obvious. But maybe some of the middle grounding ones, you know, that might be interesting. So they themselves kind of pointed out that that was a bit of a shortcoming for such a major part of the study itself. And like we mentioned, the study has nothing to do with effects. So I think the terpene and their effects and the quote terpenes being overstated is practically the first line of the paper. It itself is overstating. This paper doesn't go into effects. It doesn't go into what happens when you smoke any of these strains, what you feel, what you experience. It doesn't even really tell you if you smoke them, if you're getting the flavor. We just know what it smells like. This is a smell-based study. Yeah, there's no consumption happening here at all. Like the the machines are the only ones that got to enjoy this great hash rosin. Literally, yes, exactly. Um, so then uh, it also doesn't factor in consumer preferences or desirability. So this is another thing. Like maybe it's an exotic, but is it so gross that nobody wants to smoke it? Is it so sweet that people are turned off? Is it like the fondant of the weed world? Like, you know what I mean? Like you think sweet, you think delicious. No one likes fondant. No one wants to eat that shit. So- right. And so are you familiar with this too? It's it's almost always home growers that come to me and they're like, I have something that you've got to smell. It's so weird. And they bring it to me and it's like, it's in that like baby poop spectrum where you're like, this is not enjoyable. Yeah. This, you have created a plant that is producing scents that I don't want to be around. And it's like, okay, well, we tried it. Thanks, and this is the know? thing. So we don't know what the actual experience was of the far end on either spectrum, truly. Like, we don't know what that smelled like. We don't know what that experience was like. We can assume they're tasty because these are coming from reputable labs. These are commercial um, plants that they're growing. So there's some assumptions that can take place, but we don't want to ever assume when we're reading a white paper, like this isn't laid out in this paper. So this is a whole area that they've completely neglected to cover in this study. Keep in mind, this is a springboard for so many more studies moving forward. So this is just feedback here. Right, right. And in some ways, these things have already been selected to a degree just because of their pedigree, right? They're coming from 710, who's very, like, very deliberate in what they choose to plant and produce and what produces these like incredible um, profiles that they're shooting for. So, I mean, really, as far as partnerships go, it was a good one. And not to mention, these types of studies are costly. So I would also guarantee that the samples that I selected were from the most reputable person that I would want to work with. You know what I mean? Like, these are, this is all decided. It was, this was not just a miscellany of samples. These were selected specifically for this study. And hilariously, I actually made a bunch of memes about it. I don't know if you saw them, but the Gorilla Glue was one of the strains that was part of this study. 
And they realized very early on that someone had mislabeled the jar and it was in fact not Gorilla Glue. So it got excluded from this study because it was an outlier in that it didn't smell like what Gorilla Glue typically smells like. And so I, I was really, it, and it gets brought uh, up twice in the study. It's the funniest thing to me. And Gorilla Glue, I understand why somebody was like, this is not right. It's so specific of a scent. Um, I was doing a uh, blind tasting with a bunch of uh, bud tenders back in the day and somebody showed up late and I, I set them down in front of their like jars to get into. And um, I still remember Andrea, if you're listening, she opens up the jar and she goes, well, number six is Gorilla Glue, obviously. And everybody was like, oh, you know, writing that down. I was like, hey, <laughs> like, hey, we're trying to uh, guess what these are. This is not a group experiment here. But it, it's just – it's one of those profiles that stands out so much. I really wish it could have been included because uh, it's a special to me strain that I, I know has some unique characteristics. Uh, well, but hey, next round. You know, maybe I, I'm reading between the lines, but I genuinely felt a, a regret, a woe in in the paper for lack of girl it gets brought up twice yeah. um, if you read it like a, a tragic you know comedy it's actually shakespearean um it's fantastic i really recommend reading these white papers you guys because there is a humor that you find in some of them there are these little gems of language and like the gorilla glue piece in this one had me cackling for hours i made memes in my life i've never made a meme and i had to sit down and make a meme um Okay, let's just finish running through these. I just want to sum up my disappointments. Um, <laughs> disappointments. Bullet point us real quick, would you? So lastly, growing conditions, like you said, Ryan, also not a factor. And the biological activity of compounds, also not a factor. Additionally, and this is personally, in this paper, they did a lot of shout outs to previous papers, which I actually really liked. I felt like they were like tagging their white paper buddies in the paper to be like, and you, AVSCs, you killed it on that last one. Like I was feeling a vibe. I was feeling like we're all family. But somehow the paper that tested 90,000 samples of commercial cannabis this year, the world's largest study of cannabis in the history of our planet, was completely excluded. And I do not understand that because in that paper, which I believe was also from abstracts or abstracts adjacent, um, highlighted three clusters of smells that they believed could be the future of indica, sativa, and hybrid. And one of three clusters, so of 90,000 samples, they created three clusters to categorize them. And one was terpenoline rich strains. And they specifically had no terpenoline rich strains in this study, which just bummed me out. Because if you're going to go to all the trouble of making one of three clusters focused on terpenoline, how did we keep it out of this study? Like, it feels like it should be there. So abstracts, if you're listening, this is my personal request to include some terpenoline strains in the next one. Maybe they're prototypical. Maybe you'll find them on other ends of the spectrum. I feel like they're going to find a place on the scale. That's just me. But that was um, kind of a bummer. You know, the rest of the world loves the haze profile and the haze experience. I feel like especially people that tend to mix their flower with tobacco, which is how most of the world is still enjoying their cannabis. Absolutely. Like, yeah, it's it's a uniquely American thing to just, you know, pack $20 worth of herb into a 
a dirty glass bowl and rip it a few times and then whoa, whoa, whoa. hang I, it out on your whoa, truck floor. Yeah. That's disgusting. I would never smoke tobacco in a pipe or a bong. I'm sorry. That is oh, hard pass. No, no. I, I'm saying it's, it's an American thing to just smoke their cannabis just plain as it is. You oh. know what I mean? And that most of the world does tend to mix it with tobacco a little bit and a spliff to enjoy it. So yeah, we're the only ones that are just crumbling weed into a dirty pipe. Oh my God. That's so funny. Cause I picked up smoking weed and tobacco in America. That's like, for me, that is my, and when people ask, why do you smoke spliffs? I say, cause I lived in California. Oh, see what, what you were doing was a way to water your weed down. So you weren't smoking 20 joints a day. And that is a unique cannabis farm activity. And these people, you know, they're world travelers. So they're like, I know a trick and it's called a bag of drum. Okay, that is also true. So in conclusion, if I may, because I feel like I've just done like a dissert, I'm sweating. I'm literally- oh, I'm enjoying this. I read I read only the uh, the twenty five Perry fate twenty five page paper presented on the abstract site, which I really like. But I'm getting so much more of the actual study um, listening to you today. So this is great. Well, maybe we'll get Ian Roberts and Twinkle who uh, presented the material and did the study on in a future podcast. But I think this is a really great for us to just like break it down for myself and everyone listening. <laughs> Hopefully they don't listen to this one first. Cause they're going to be like, she's going to have a lot of questions. Um, uh, no, I, I promise you anybody who's putting out white papers, you know, this, they know where the shortcomings are and they know what could be done better next time. Or if they had greater resources or what they could really get into if they had the time. So, I mean, I, I get it. I don't think we're uh, surprising anybody with this. And this is the high note with which we will be summarizing this paper because respectfully, they did include some points in the white paper on some things they would like to pursue in the future and build off of. And so I felt personally like they were saying, this is what we've discovered. Here we are presenting it. And I feel like a lot of industry people snatched it and said, terpenes aren't real and like started running around with that. Um, But really they're like, no, this is a building block to really truly understand this universe of smells and flavorings specific to this plant. Like we know indole exists, we know scatol exists, and now we can say with certainty, so does it lie in the cannabis flower, right? And so these are just nice stepping points, and I really respect these guys for presenting it in that way and kind of summing it up at the end. So in my opinion, the most significant aspect is that we are moving into uh, aromatic explorations of non-terpenoid compounds. It's about freaking time. I've been waiting for this. I don't have a science lab, but I've been dying to see them. So thank you for that. We will probably be seeing a way more comprehensive studies in the future. This is not even the beginning. This is like the intro to the beginning because scent is complex. Scent is complex. And then on top of that, unlike basil or fucking lavender, we have cannabinoids. We don't just have aromatics. These are Cannabis is its own unique plant. And so I'm excited to do a deeper dive. And on that note, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you in the beginning. I'm a certified herbalist. I got my certificate. Yes, congrats. Congrats. Good work, Amanda. I know it's a lot of work. You've been doing this for uh, for a long time. Almost four years. Almost four years for this program. Um, so I'm officially a herbalist. And that is why I can say that plants are extremely complex and have a lot of therapeutic actions. Weed is not the only plant 
that has medicinal therapeutic actions. Um, it's the one we are obviously obsessed with, and I love that for us. But I'm excited because it's studies like these that help expand the thinking, I think, of people who might not have had the the privilege of being able to study aromatherapy or be able to study herbalism, right? And so we can share like all of this information freely and start to really understand like, I didn't go to science school. So some of this is over my head too. So I appreciate even them just putting their write up on their website. That was fantastic. And uh, so yeah, shout out to Abstracts and uh, this fantastic paper. That is my official summary on the subject. This week I wrote two articles on it, so I had to do my studying. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you did. It, it is really exciting, and like like we've been saying, like we're just pushing people more towards the exploration of aroma and flavor and the experience, the sensory experience you have when you're enjoying cannabis. Like, great, and you know, I, it's sort of rhetorical, but do you think we'll ever get to the point where you can prescribe an uh, expected experience to someone? Can I ever say like, all right, Amanda, here you go. There's this lilac love flower and it's just going to make you just have a great day of reading a book in the park. I think it is very unlikely just based on the science of everyone's endocannabinoid system, you know, interacting with THC and CBD so differently. But interestingly, we do have a school of thinking in aromatherapy, which I've always been quite fond of. I come from a lineage of aromatherapists who were trained in this school of thinking from one of the first recognized aromatherapists, Marguerite Mori. So she was my teacher's teacher's teacher, right? And it's called individual prescription. And the idea is to using plant aromatics, fill in gaps of your for your own well-being. So if you came to me and you said, I'm stressed, I have a headache, and um, I hate my boss. Like, it could just be three random things. It doesn't have to be like, my knee hurts, my back hurts. It can be like physical, emotional, whatever. Um, We are trained to create an aromatic prescription to treat those symptoms. And so sometimes it's adding something. So let's say you're saying, I have just an overwhelming feeling of sadness. So I might add some happy herbs and aromatics to bring out the happiness, or I might, you know, I might put someone in that reduces sad feelings, you know, different energetics. So I don't know. I I believe it's possible that we could get to that point and have robust cannabis apothecaries. Ooh. Smells and many flavors. And for those of you who are not interested in the science, but stuck it out this far into the episode, fuck yeah, that rules. So check out the study because it's interesting, I think, to try some of the strains that they've identified as exotics with these exotic flavorants um, and taste them for yourself. The list is right there and it's thorough. If you have very specific flavors, you can pick based on their charts um, in the study, which one matches, you know, the description you're Yeah. And there are flavors on there um, like Mac, Mac one, which I think is really easy to get your hands on. There are flavors on there of OG. That's not being very specific, but let's just say it's 710 labs, some quintessential ghost OG or something along those lines. Flavors that you can, you can get your hands on. Now, I don't know. There are some things on here that seem like out of my reach. I've, I've never heard of, uh, I don't know, purple churro is not something I can just go and grab, I don't think. Uh, but there are a lot on here like Trainwreck and uh, 
you know, bacio gelato that are easy enough to get my hands on. Okay. I'm really glad you said that, Ryan, because, you know, for all my work in cannabis, there were some strains on there that I have never heard before. And I was feeling very, oh my God, everyone's studying these famous strains. I've never even heard of them before. But okay. Thank you for saying that some of them were. Uh, No, upside down frown number five was new to me too. Uh, but hey, I, I got to tell you, like, I want to get my nose in all of these. I also want to get my nose into Mandy's uh, smell catalog um, yes. out there. I have seen many pictures of, I think it's like a little yellow cottage was just like 10,000 little tiny bottles to stick your nose into. Um, sounds dreamy. So I guess uh, another field trip is... Uh, is on the books. We've got to get Well, it. you know what, Ryan? I was literally thinking today that we should go. I was literally thinking about that today. And so for all of our listeners out there, stop what you're doing. Give us five stars. Subscribe. Share this episode because these are the trips we want to go on and we can do it with your support. If you've listened this far, it's totally worth the five stars. Um, rate and review. It helps us spread our podcast on other platforms. And also, you know, it's thank you for listening. We really appreciate our listeners and you guys tuning in every week. Yeah, yeah. This is a you know more intimate podcast. It's just the two of us. We don't have a guest here. But I have to say that we've been seeing the listenership climb, and that's really exciting. We've got some grand plans for upcoming seasons. And if there's anything you'd like to hear, anything you'd like to see, I have to say, like since we've been doing the careers thing, people have been reaching out nonstop. We could probably do this for forever. So at this point, if you'd like to see something else or us explore something, like we're easy enough to get a hold of, reach out. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to say is with all of this new information coming your way, one thing remains the same, the cannabis of Roman wheel. It is timeless, it is true, and it's perfect for you. So we've set up a new way to order it online. Please get your copy of the cannabis aroma wheel. It's, yeah, um, this one is best for Canadians. So now we have it set up. So there's no conversions or anything. It's directly on Amanda's site. Why don't you drop the link here? EmeraldTempleLiving.com is the website and you can go ahead and get your copy of the cannabis aroma whale. That would be fantastic. And you can also join my newsletter, get updates and, and reach out if you have any more questions that we can answer on future episodes. Great. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk more things cannabis. See you then. Bye. Said no matter what kind of pain Can anguish like me bring you Oh, smoke it up, hold it down and don't ever stop Well, you can always find your smoking spot Yeah, you can always find your smoking spot Smoking Spot fans, we're here to tell you about the newest launch from Centelligence Projects. Over the last year, we've created the Cannabis Aroma Wheel. It's a sensory tool designed to help connoisseurs take their knowledge to the next level. So whether you're a bud tender, dispensary owner, cultivator, or you just love the smell of weed, you can better appreciate the cannabis in front of you. Get your copy of the most detailed sensory tool built specifically for the cannabis industry and order your Cannabis Aroma Wheel today at IntelligenceProject.com.